You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, The Messenger, our guest today, Oren Moverman, follows a U.S. Army staff sergeant who has just returned home from a tour of duty in Iraq and then assigned to the Army's Casualty Notification Service. Moverman co-wrote the screenplay for Jesus' Son and Todd Haynes' I'm Not There. The Messenger is screening nationwide and locally at Irvine, in Irvine, at Edwards West Park and in Laguna Niguel at the Regency Rancho Niguel 8. Warren Moverman, welcome to film school. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And how are you today? Uh, pretty good. How are you? Uh, we're, doing, we're doing just fine, especially fine that you're with us. I want to congratulate you on a, on a great film. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And this is your first time out as director, yes? Uh, yes, I believe so. <laughs> How'd you get suckered into that? Um, well, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was actually a, a process. We, yeah. uh, my co-writer, Alessandro Comon, and I uh, developed this project uh, and worked with uh, three different directors on uh, different uh, stages on, on sort of getting the film made. And uh, the first one was Sidney Pollack, who, um, who um, sort of dropped out when we, we couldn't really figure out how to make this uh, a love story in the way that, that he wanted. And then uh, Roger Michel, a great uh, British uh, film and theater director, we worked with for a few months on, on getting it off the ground, and we developed uh, the relationship between the Woody Harrelson and Ben Foster character with him. And then he had to go make another film, and then Ben Affleck was on board as a director for a little bit. And then when they were all gone, I was kind of like the last man standing, and uh, <laughs> they handed it over to me. But you, uh, what I read was you really didn't want to direct. You felt, why, why did you not want to direct? Because it was your first film, and... It... Well, it's not that I didn't want to direct, uh, period. I mean, I was actually on my way to direct my first film as, uh, uh, you know, as a director with, with another project when this was offered to me. I, I just felt, you know, I was in, the, in a screenwriter's uh, head at the time. Mm-hmm. It's not a place, bad place to be. And um, they basically um, said, go ahead and, and, and make the film as you will. And I thought it was unfair. I, I had a partner in making this this uh, project come alive it was our baby we shared everything up to that point and i know very well the feeling of of sort of director taking off uh, on his own and kind of leaving the writer behind and i thought it was my responsibility to you know to to get his blessing and to get his approval but also you know selfishly from from my point of view i was really thinking well we got to get a great director with a big name who's very experienced and a great humanist and i had this whole theory about you know who should be the right person to direct it and i was ultimately told to you know shut up and do it <laughs> <laughs> well i'm certainly glad that you took it on because uh, you you bring uh, not only a familiarity and an intimacy to this film um it, it's it's very well done and uh, uh in terms of just the production value of uh-huh. it now you served in the Israeli uh, as an Israeli, Israeli soldier in Lebanon. Am I correct in that? I, I served in the Israeli military in the eighties. Yeah, and part of it was, was in Lebanon. Yes. Did was there a, a feeling you brought from that conflict into this film? Is were there experiences? Anything you brought? No, I think I think you're right with the first part of the question. It's it's a feeling of the conflict, and 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 in that. I don't only mean the conflict uh, as in the war, but also the internal conflict of a soldier 
uh, and the emotional landscape that you sort of have to walk through when you come back from a war zone um, and, and you're feeling like the, you know, Ben Foster character says in the movie, you're feeling like you're, you're coming back from another planet and life has sort of gone on without you. How do you get yourself back into uh, life? And that's really what uh, the movie's about. Now, did uh, Alessandro Camon, did he have any uh, experience at all in this, or is he a, a, a civilian? He's, he's a civilian. He did not uh, serve in the military, but uh, um, I, I never felt that was a, a problem because, yeah. um, you know, I, I thought as a, as, a, as a gifted writer, he, he understood the characters very well. well. How did that process work between you and him? What was the relationship there? Were you, is it pretty much equal, or did he do... Uh, the outlining of it, and you did dialogue. How did that go? No, there, w- there wasn't such a clear separation. There was, uh, you know, I mean, the process started with him. It was his idea and it was his uh, vision, really, that started the the process going. And then there was a lot of ping pong across the country. I was in uh, New York. He was in L.A. And uh, you know, he would write something and send it to me, and I would um, write something and rewrite some of what he did and send it back to him. There was a lot of trust because, as you can imagine, when you go through a process like this. If there's ego involved, you're not even in the same room. It's, you can you can fight literally over the script by by altering the script. So um, I think that we just we were lucky that we were friends and we were uh, very respectful of each other and we had really the same goals in in writing the movie. And I really want to pay uh, some uh, respect here as well to Alessandro for the work he'd worked on. Thank you for smoking American Psycho and The Cooler, and those are three terrific scripts. Uh, uh, so he was producer on those, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was producer. His background is producing. I mean, this is, you know, this is my first uh, film as a as a director. This is his first film as a screenwriter. Okay. Uh, uh, it's really, you know, um, uh, a, a big deal for, for both of us. But yeah. his background uh, was producing, and he was uh, instrumental in getting um, a whole bunch of independent films off the ground. Yeah, and in addition to once the script was completed, uh, that process moving forward, uh, there has been a number of films that have come out about the war in Iraq, in some manner of speaking, some aspect of it. Uh, you, what was the experience of sort of uh, shopping the script around to the different uh, production companies and studios? Right. Well, the, our process was a little different because. Um being um, sort of responsible, I think, to ourselves and to our um, to our families, uh, we wanted to get paid in writing the script when we had the idea. So, uh, what we tried to do was pitch it around uh, in L.A. and um, we got uh, development money and producers um, off a pitch. So, once we wrote the script and um, we got it to the point where we needed to look for financing, we took it out into the world with our producers. And of course, the general feedback was, you know, great script, but um, look, these movies, you know, nobody wants to see them, and they they, they can't make money because they're about war. And you know, you hear all kinds of uh, of versions of the same excuse, which is basically we don't want to do it. But you hear it as, uh, you know, people are not ready, or people um, are seeing too much of it. Uh, uh, people had theories, but clearly we found the right people who who said that they wanted to go forward and, and make the movie and finance it and uh, get it off the ground, and they believed in the uniqueness of the movie, I think, overall. Yeah. Well, uh, people aren't getting too much of the consequences of war, I think. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but I think people get a lot of the war. They get a lot of, of the... You know the, the battle scores and and uh, you know the statistics, but they don't really see how it affects people personally. 
on the on the home front and, and you just did such a, a a great job on that I, how do you how did you tap into that what was it like working say with with ben foster and expressing that to him well i i think we with all the actors we worked in a very open way which is to say uh, we invited them into the process by the time we we had the final version of the script you know we were so familiar with it i, I was so aware of every change it went through and i, I felt very comfortable um to go off script and to basically let actors invent. And in order to do that, you know, we didn't really rehearse any scene in the movie. What we did is talked a lot. And we talked a lot about um, everything from the war and, and even politics, even though it's not a political film, to uh, our personal lives, our families. Uh, and, and I think the more we made it personal, um, the more we sort of tapped into what the characters should be doing and how they're behaving. And it really wasn't about kind of nailing anything on, off the page or, or getting to imitate a particular soldier we met or anything like that. It was really just about being human and present. And I know that, that sounds abstract and a little bit uh, silly, but it really was that yeah. kind of process. Yeah, I, I got the feeling there was a lot of that going on in the notification scenes. Those things were... I don't want to say brutal, but just extremely powerful. They were brutal in in a lot of ways. They were just stripped bare. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How how did you? Was there any specific direction you gave for those scenes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we we treated every there are six notifications in the movie, and uh, we treated every notification as, as almost like a short movie in itself. Yeah. And um, and basically, they were our battle scenes. They were our emotional battlegrounds, and so uh, I felt that it would be really manipulative and, and, and inappropriate for us to shoot it in any kind of a traditional way. I felt that what we had to do was shoot it in, as spontaneously as possible, and obviously we're using actors and it's not real, uh, and I wouldn't want to pretend this is reality because there are real people dealing with this every day, but we wanted to, to give it an immediacy, and to that end, we shot those scenes uh, all in one take. Um, camera was handheld. Um, actors didn't really know each other. They they'd never met or talked before. Uh, we did the scene. There were no rehearsals, and then we were free to. You know, I threw everyone off set, so we were free to shoot in every direction. And they never really knew who the camera is going to stay on. Um, and then I, I talked, you know, with both sides, the notifiers and and the people being notified separately. And so um, no one really knew what the other person is going to do, even though we had a. It was quite specific. There were still things to be invented. And then with the cinematographer, Bobby Bukowski, we, we basically figured out uh, a way to shoot each take that if we couldn't use the entire take, we can cut it in with, with other takes that we did. So it was, um, it was a, kind of an exhilarating process to turn. Well, I, I, kudos to, uh, I believe, Bukowski. I, I like the, uh, the, the handheld. There's a, there's a real feeling that you're right in, you're walking with uh, the characters of uh, Woody, Har Woody Harrelson uh, and uh, Ben Foster in this film as they approach uh, their, the, the people that they need to notify. And just there's a, really a lot of trust in this film in terms of the actors as well. There are yeah. lots of long takes in this film where the actors are just, they're, they're really quite uh, naked, if you will, in, in terms of the, the, their work with the camera and with each other. It's It's... You did a great job with this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that you know that was the general approach to the movie, which was not, hey, let's shoot a movie. It was more like, okay, let's capture these performances in these spaces. Yeah. Uh, and when you're talking about, even you know, when you're talking to a cinematographer about capturing performances, it, it becomes very, very clear, um, especially if you're shooting in, in, in a way where the actors are somewhat improvising and, and you're improvising with the camera. Yeah. 
it's a very intimate film. It 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 just you write you. I always felt like I was right in the room. I was wherever they were. I felt I didn't feel like I was watching them as much as I was bearing witness to what they were doing. And if that if that makes sense. No, oh, no, that's that's great. That's yeah. a, a great way to. Um, now, yeah, I had I'd read that you um, took some inspiration from the Maisel Brothers, The Salesman. It, it, can you attribute some of that to um, that film? You know, your, the intimacy, or, or or what exactly did you pull out of that film? What was the feeling that you got from the Maisel Brothers? Well, you know, the the Salesman was the first film that uh, I showed uh, Bobby that we watched oh. together because the first the first uh, kind of impulse was okay, we're making a movie uh, that has uh, a lot of scenes where people come to the door to deliver some sort of news. Yeah. Um, what what is another movie about people coming to the door? And uh, Salesman came to mind immediately. As I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's a beautiful poetic film about sort of the end of the Bible salesman era, and it's all about Bible salesmen coming to people's doors, usually uh, people who are not you know rich uh, and trying to sell them through you know through salesmanship and through fear and through all kinds of things uh, Bibles. So we took a look at it, and what uh, was interesting was just the camera work was so expressive but simple and it was doing so much to tell you about the characters even when the characters were standing still there was something about the choices that uh, albert mazel made with uh with his camera that really informed so much about sort of the emotional state of of um, the characters and uh, his use of zoom which was different from the way we use zoom because we did use a lot of zoom uh, but it was still so expressive and so human that it was really inspiring and so it was our sort of that's where we take took off from uh, in terms of discussing the look of the film obviously that's a black and white film so there's there are other differences and we looked at a lot of other films but it was really uh, inspirational for us yeah, we're speaking with Orrin Moverman, the film is The Messenger. Uh, Mike, did you have something? No, I just wanted to, because I, I know that uh, there are a couple of directors that are referred to in, in, in doing some research on the film, that you, you just spoke of a couple other films, Hal Ashby and, and Robert Altman. And there's, there are, I, I see that the, 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 those, some of those influences in, in this work as well. Uh, Hal Ashby is a very underappreciated director. He had a terrific run of films, and it's good to see people talk about him and in in, in his filmmaking, and, and as well as Robert Altman, because that just goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, I think both of them, uh, you know, obviously masters in, in what they were doing and uh, very different careers, but we were sort of focusing on, on films they made in the 70s um, in in the way they worked with actors, really, in the way that they captured performance and the way, um, you know, they created very sort of, sort of hermetic worlds uh, in their films. You, you sort of, you walked into the, the, their film, many of them, and, and you just felt you were, you were part of it and you felt drawn to the characters, and um, that was something that we were aiming for. Now, bringing some of these actors on board, Ben Foster, Woody Harrelson, Samantha Morton, um, you had you had some relationship with Samantha from Jesus' son, um, or did you? Did you know her from that? And is that yeah. one? And you so you obviously she's a terrific actress. Uh, how did you bring Ben Foster and uh, Woody Harrelson into this? Uh, well, it was it was it started off as a as a pretty normal uh, process of casting. You know, we had a casting director on board, Laura Rosenthal, who's great, and um, she started putting names in front of me. And for Ben Foster's role, Will Montgomery, um, there were really four or five names on that list. There, there had to be you know it had to be someone in his twenties, 
um, who has a certain kind of intensity, and because of the reality of, of getting films financed, um, it had to be somebody um, who's, uh, quote-unquote, a name, somebody who, who's known and who could support a film of this size, which is not big, but still uh, substantial for us. So um, I started talking with, with people who could do that role, and when I met with Ben, it was it was immediate. I know a lot of people say stuff like that, but it really was. He sat down, and I just knew he was the guy. I mean, he has this incredible intensity, but I felt immediately connected to him because you feel there's so much going on emotionally inside him, and Ben's played a lot of extroverted roles, um, and this one has to be, you know, really kind of internal, but, um, you know, it, it just it was just he had connection, and we talked for hours and hours, and I, I offered it to him. Yeah. With Woody, it was a little different. Uh, Woody was offered a different part uh, in the movie, the part of the colonel, which was a little bigger at the time in the script. And um, I heard that he liked the script. We, we got together, and uh, he basically said, look, it's a, it's a great script, and I was moved by it, but you got it all wrong. I'm not that guy. Uh, I'm, I'm that guy. And he sort of pointed to you know, the Tony Stone part of the script, and I... You know, I wasn't sure, um, and the more we talked, uh, the more he convinced me that, that he should be the guy, and uh, he was absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you imagine in that in the, the uh, Tony Stone character that well, uh, that was original in that, that Woody uh, superseded? Believe it or not, I actually saw it because I didn't know Woody, and uh, I actually didn't uh, know that much about uh, his life other than his, his, the roles that he played. I actually thought of him as, as more of an authoritative role. Um, you know, I'm, now I know how much he hates authority. But, uh, <laughs> but so I, I thought, you know, for someone in his place, in his career, and also in his past roles, he, he would kind of play the the colonel with a lot of authority and i thought that that's perfect for him and and tony i felt was much more kind of a, of a loose cannon kind of guy and when i met with with woody it became very clear that he can do the loose cannon very well <laughs> well one of the one of the great things about the relationship between will montgomery and tony stone is the way that uh it unfolds At initially there's the sort of the tension between the two and uh tony woody harrelson's character has a very Deliberate, very methodical way of the the, the uh, notification of these uh, to these family members, and uh, as that sort of starts to break down, the relationship is it's very subtle. It doesn't. There's no. I don't. I didn't think of anything in here as a as that turning point. But uh, Ben does a uh, does a terrific job of that making that transition from a guy who's resistant, who doesn't really like Tony initially, to something that becomes uh, very. A very close relationship, and it it, hap- it unfolds very subtly. Did you imagine yeah. that happening uh, originally in the script? Yeah, it had to be incremental, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, it had to be a process that is very familiar, you know, to people who serve in the military, where uh, experiences will get you to feel a lot. You know, military experience will get you feeling very close to the people you're with, and yeah. if you go through a shared um, um, experience that has to do with with war or with, you know, in this particular case, the, these emotional battles of, of just bringing the, the bad news of war to people's doorstep, um, you know, you're either going to grow, uh, you know, to kill each other or you're going to grow closer. And I think that there's a, there, there's certain traits that are, are similar in these guys. They're very much the loner, and, and they deal with their loneliness in, in, in different ways. And I think that once they recognize in each other a friend or a potential friend, it starts warming up, but you sort of have to feel it 
in their experiences much more in what they say to each other. Well, that makes sense. And that if you're if you're a, a, in the armed forces, most of these, if not all these people, you have no idea. You've never met them before, and you're you know you're sort of uh, the cape the that could be that you will be forced into a situation very quickly where your life depends on the other person mm-hmm. doing their job and doing it well. And so, and and you, with this film, you really have. I think you've correctly st- said it that uh, in my mind that. Uh, this is an emotional battlefield that these people are navigating, and there is a closeness that comes uh, in going through that together that uh, that you just can't replicate. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's true, and I, and I think that you, it, there's a certain insanity in what they have to do, and I think that um, friendship is what you rely on um, to to prevent you know yourself from going insane, and I think that that's what what they give each other, uh, among other things. Yeah. And I want to also talk about Samantha Morton. We haven't spoken with her. She is just remarkable in this film. Very touching performance. Very. Uh, what, you, uh, what what instruction did you give her going into this role? Well, with, with Sam, we talked a lot about um, this woman's life. Um, you know, Sam is someone who's who's amazing in in, in bringing her own experiences into things, uh, and then never never showing them. And uh, usually, she plays characters who are far from from who she is. And here as well, she's playing someone who's not her, but she actually comes from a, a military family. Her, uh, you know, the, she, her brother. Is in Iraq um, as a private security guard. He was he was a soldier. So she she knew that emotional landscape we're talking about from from the perspective of the family. So there was a, a lot of the stuff that we talked about was about you know just just where Olivia, the character she's playing, where where her head's at, and what you know how's she feeling about the the her um, husband being uh, deployed you know three times and uh, raising a kid by herself and feeling isolated and and, and lonely lonely on her own. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about that, talked about her life. Uh, the way we made this film, as I said, is, is with no rehearsal. So basically we relied on the way we communicated with each other and the stories we told each other and, and the inspirations we kind of shared to inform the characters and the situation. So it was kind of a privileged and, and I would say lucky, uh, lucky that it worked process. Um, where it wasn't really about okay, you go into this and uh, scene and you walk over there and you do this and then you come over here. It wasn't uh, that controlling. It was, I really just wanted to give them space to to feel at ease in their characters. And you know, you're working with uh, actors of of this caliber uh, with such intelligence. You really uh, grow to trust them very very quickly in their decision making. And then it's just about sculpting that and and kind of pointing in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve Buscemi, how, how how did he come into the role? Yeah. Uh, how did you uh, get him to play a part here? Well, Steve, Steve's an old friend of mine. Uh, <clears throat> I worked with him on a script that we're still trying to make about William Burroughs in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. He will direct, and Steve uh, and I have been uh, you know talking about various things for for many years, and it just seemed very natural to me uh, to have him in the film. You know, as a friend and as an actor, I really admire, and I think that. Uh, it's a sort of role that he's not usually asked to play, but A, because it's really small, uh, and, and B, because it's just, um, you know, dramatic in a way that uh, I don't think he's, he's done before and gets very personal, uh, although he's done, obviously, a lot of dramatic roles, but this one was a little bit unusual for him. And it also got very personal because he's playing a father who loses a son, and Steve does have a son, and I knew it would be very very emotional place for him to go and um i just felt like it, it was uh you know it could be a really interesting process for him and he was game for it
By, by the way, I, it's just as an aside, uh, Steve is an, an excellent filmmaker as well. I think Trees Lounge is one of the better films that, uh, one, and certainly one of the best performances I, I can remember. He's he's just terrific in it. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a tremendous director and uh, an actor and writer. So it's it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now the the William Burroughs thing you're working right now. I I I said I read that it was in production. Is that William Burroughs queer? Yeah, it's yeah. it's not in production yet, but um, you know it's getting closer. All right, good luck right. on that. We're good now. Now it says actor director Steve Buscemi. Is he going to play Burroughs? Uh, no, he's he's just directing it. That's uh, plenty of work for this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, the things you have in production, at least that's what it said, uh, both of these sound fascinating to me. Uh, the uh, William Burroughs Queer and then the uh, film about uh, director Nicholas Ray. How How is that going? Uh, we're going... We're getting closer on that as well. Uh, Philip Kaufman is directing that one, and Nicholas oh, wow. Ray is an incredible, yeah. incredible story. And this was a... A script that is based on uh, Susan Ray's book. Uh, I was interrupted about um, Nick and his life, and some of his writing is yeah. in it. It was really—it's a movie about um, you know the obsession of, of making movies, and, and we all know that that could be interesting. <laughs> now, uh, I want to also before we wrap this up, I, I wanted to compliment you on the soundtrack, and if, for people listening, it really t- paying attention. Uh, some terrific uh, store uh, songs in here uh, about war and the consequences of war that you uh, work into this uh, the Leon Russell and the the band and you have some some oldies uh, in there as well but it's some heavy metal and some too. heavy metal yeah. uh, it was that did you have input on what songs would be included in uh, yeah absolutely uh we worked with uh, a music supervisor, Tracy McKnight, who was, uh, you know, very helpful in just giving us a lot of choices. But we also, uh, Alex Hall, who's the editor of the movie, and I uh, had our biases uh, for certain kind of music. So we all really went out and, and brought in the things that we felt informed uh, the scenes best and really worked for the character and kind of assign a certain kind of sound yeah. to each character because yeah. one of the things that we noticed in, in, in scouting for the movie is that there's no silence anymore in America. Every house you walk oh, yeah. in, every house you walk into, there's either a radio on, a television on, a music on, or a video game on, or whatever it is. Uh, and we just wanted to sort of fill the the sound of of of, uh, of the movie with with constant uh, noise. And yeah. part of the noise is the music, uh, which is obviously very important noise to all of us. Uh, and we were lucky to get some you know some big songs like the the Beach Boys song, uh, uh, Good Vibrations, and then some. Uh, smaller bands than, and people we really like, like the Felice Brothers or A. Bondi. Well, and also uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, the Leon Russell song, is just yeah. a terrific song, and it was just great to hear it. Now, great I, to hear it again. As long as we're on music, the, the ice cream truck is playing Home on the Range. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it playing Home on the Range? Or did you uh, put that in there? Because I know it's repeated later on in the film. I just I was kind of curious. Was that a happy accident? Well, the happy accident happened in scouting, oh. uh, and it was a glorious accident because we, we were scouting for, for the house for the first notification, and when I walked out of the house, an ice cream truck came by, and it was playing uh, Home on the Range. <laughs> I, uh, it immediately struck me that we have a scene later on in the movie where it only said in the script, you know, Will and Tony sing a song as they drive, yeah. and we didn't really specify what song, and I felt, well, that, they should probably sing Home on the Range. That's <laughs> perfect, but wouldn't it be great if we could actually get this guy with the ice cream truck to come back and we can shoot him in the scene of the notific- after the notification 
Uh, and that way we have that established as a memory from the first notification they did together, and um, we got the guy to come back. All right. That made such a great juxtaposition, too. I mean, you know, the, the happy bells uh, after a scene like that were, uh, I don't know, it just adds to the devastation of it all. Yeah, well, and to add to the fortunate situation that we were in, uh, we got Willie Nelson to record Home and Rage for us, yeah. the closing credits, and, and then the movie was complete. Yeah. Oh, terrific. Terrific film. Uh, uh, the, the Messenger, it's, uh, and by the way, congratulations, you're receiving uh, recognition for, for your work here. I know I have AFI, and there's a, it's on a lot of critics' top ten lists for the, for the year, and um, congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. Uh, the film is The Messenger. We've been speaking with Warren Moverman, uh, the, uh, and thank you for being here on Film School. Thanks for having me. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.